Watch out for that owl! Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Hi, Sam. How are you? Doing fairly well, Don. Trying to get over this bug that has wiped out the country. Yeah, you have, you've had a bug for a long time. Well, yeah, but that's the alcoholism. <laughs> yes, Gotcha. <laughs> I was gonna say you got a bug up your ass, but I think I'm gonna cut. Oh, we that can out. totally say that shit on here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're feeling well enough to record. I'm happy to be here, and I don't think I'm infectious, but I won't lick your faces, okay? Yeah, that's excellent. All right, and I'll keep the dog who's wandering around us. Uh, if you hear the click clack of little toenails. It's the coffee shop dog. The coffee shop dog from licking our faces as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are, I'm excited. We've got a guest. We do have a guest. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm the guest. My name is Pierce and I'm an alcoholic. Pierce. Glad you're here. Yeah, well, it's good to be here. Well, Pierce, when did you get sober? I picked up the the most recent start ship that I've got. I have a whole drawer. Um, this one I picked up in September, on September 2nd of 1992. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. And you got a drawer full of them. Like, what does that mean? How many? Um, Just an estimate. Probably 10. 10 start over. Yeah. Most of them are are white poker chips from, uh, you know, different, different states, different cities. Um, you know, I did a little geographical curing and, and that kind of thing, but, uh, uh, yeah, the most recent one is from right here, and it's a silver coin. Uh, so, and were, you're sober for any length of time you, for any of those before you started over, or was it just you couldn't you just couldn't surrender and quit drinking? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not even sure I understood enough to know about surrender. I would I would come in, I'd uh, I'd manage to put together a few months. I don't think I ever put together a year, mm. and uh, you know, and and then I. I think I've got this thing. I'm fine. You know, I, I like these people. I'm not really one of them. I just needed a little break and I've got some momentum going. So I'm, I'm going to be fine. I can drink you know, just, just like anybody else now. And, uh, and I kept going through that. You know, it was, uh, it was like one of those groundhog day movies, you know, the one where the girl oh, yeah. yeah. keeps waking up in the same thing every day. And so when you, uh, when you drank again after, you know, I got this and I can drink like a normal man and, did, did you drink normal for a period of time after that, or did you just find yourself right back in it? Uh, you know, it, it varied. There were, there were times when I was, uh, I was able to, quote-unquote, control my drinking. That's so much fun, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. It just, and and ugh, misery. And other times, you know, I'd pick it up, and it was like Bill Wilson on Armistice Day, you know. And three hours later, I'm pounding the bar. How did this happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You know, so it was a little bit of both, but the, the common theme was it never lasted long. That's a, that's really different than my experience. I came into AA and, and I completely surrendered. I, I, I guess I was like uh, not willing to even approach the idea of going to AA until I was certain that I was 
finish drinking because I knew it was going to, it meant not drinking. And there's no way I wanted any part of that. And I tried everything in the world before AA to be able to control my drinking. I got into therapy and I did that. I really did that for about a year and a half. And Oh, all kinds of things, meditations. I went, started going to a, a meditation group. I was trying to affirm, use affirmations. I, and gosh darn it, I can drink like a normal person. <laughs> By golly, I can drink half a bottle of wine and quit. <laughs> and I'm going to do it tonight. And it kept not working. <laughs> Stuart Smalley would not be proud of that. No. <laughs> Something about those affirmations didn't work. But I but I tried everything in the world before I came in. So it's but that's not most people's experience, it doesn't seem like. No, it wasn't mine either. I I when I look back on it, I realized that what I knew was that if I came in here to the rooms and really did this my whole life was going to change. Mm -hmm. And that's daunting. I didn't, yeah. I wanted to just not hurt anymore. I didn't want my whole life to change. I just wanted to be able to drink. Yeah. Well, that's what I got to the place where it was like, please change my life. You know, I mean, I think part of, part of my, uh, my issue around this was I really wasn't convinced I was an alcoholic. I did things that even at the time I considered to be over the top. And, and I guess I sort of maybe knew that I had a problem, but I wasn't really ready to what, call it alcoholism. What's yet. an example over the top? Well, I mean, I can, I can give you an example of, uh, of some of the reasons why I felt that way. I mean, I was a, I'd been a blackout drinker since I was in high school. So, I mean, there were, the signs were there, right? <laughs> but, mm. but, you know, I was, I was married to a woman who identified herself as an alcoholic. Uh, she certainly drank a lot more than I did volume-wise. And so... Part of me felt that, well, you know, this is the real problem. The real alcohol problem in our house isn't me. And if this gets cleared up, I'm going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> she's much worse than me. <laughs> she's much worse than me. The, uh, you know, I, I went to work with people who drank like I did. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was surrounded by all these folks who were drinking like me. And, and I was certainly not at, at either end of that pack. I was firmly in the middle. And, mm -hmm. and it seemed normal because yes. it, it was kind of normal for that abnormal group of people. I would come in thinking that, you know, maybe I need this AA thing, but I didn't see myself as someone who had hit some kind of a bottom. And that's really, uh, that was really a big, big part of it. And the, when I came in in 1992, my wife had been sober for six months and I was still drinking alcoholically. Was she in... AA? She was. Uh-huh. Ooh. Yeah. That shines a light. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. And and I thought I was going to be fine. And, and the way I was going to deal with this was I was just going to drink expensive stuff. Oh, and, that, that'll slow yeah, you down. Yeah, yeah. That's a good path. That's I use that path. Yeah. So, so, you know, I go down to Elizabeth's Pizza and I wasn't drinking in the home because I didn't want to drink around her because I didn't want to set her off again had this Alanonic thinking going on, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but I'd stay, I would drink these $3 Moretti or Morelli or whatever it is kind of beers at, at Elizabeth's while I was waiting on food to take home. And, and I drink four or five of them 
Of course you did. Exactly, exactly. And then I'd go buy expensive wine, and you know, I couldn't afford that stuff, but I was I was drinking bottles of it. And, and finally, you know, I just had another embarrassing episode. It wasn't any, it wasn't particularly different than anything else, uh, but that's what drove me in in September. And, uh, you know, and I've been there ever since. And at that point, there was a, there was a surrender that hit. I, uh, I, what happened? No, there wasn't. Oh! <laughs> it, it, it was destined to end just like the rest of them, I think. What finally happened was I was going to a, a beginner's meeting and there was a crusty old timer named Richard G who has, is uh, no longer with us, but I noticed his made an appearance on the show once or twice in references. And uh, he said some things that have really <laughs> stuck with me. Yes, yes, me too. Uh, most of them four-letter things. Yeah. But, <laughs> he uh, was very direct, but he was. And he took me aside. I'd, I'd been going to this meeting for maybe nine months, you know, and I thought I was I was sharing some pretty heavy stuff. And, and yeah, yeah, oh God, it was, it was awful. <laughs> It was awful, and and I, you know, people never said anything about what I had to say, and never came up to me after. But I didn't know that this was particularly <laughs> abnormal. And and uh, and Richard pulled me aside after a meeting, and he said, "You've been around here for a while." And I said, "Yeah." And I thought he was going to say something something complimentary, and and he said, "You are so full of shit, and you've been this way ever since you got here." <laughs> That's Richard. Yeah, it was. You know, and, and I didn't like him to begin. With. Because he was always abrasive in the meetings, I, I didn't, you know, he was he was not one of my favorite people. And he said, "I'm starting a step doers class, and it starts on Saturday at 8 a.m. here in the church, and and it could help you, but I don't expect to see you there." Ho oh, <laughs> ho! Gauntlet cast. That was it. And you know, and I walked out. Well, you son of a bitch, you won't. <laughs> and and then uh, it was snowy that Saturday, and I was there. And I'm not sure, I, I can't tell you the thought process that got me there. I just found myself in that room, and I stayed, and I did that. And but by being snowy, what you're saying is it was a l- little hard to get there, and even so, you got there. That's exactly right. I mean, it, it took some effort. First of all, I'm not usually up at 8 a.m. Uh, I certainly wasn't back in those days. Yeah, on a Saturday. you gotta be you got to be sober to show up someplace at 8 a.m. <laughs> Especially at church. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Sam may be right. It may have been that, that uh, it was the gauntlet being thrown down, and I'll, I'll show him, you know. And, uh, it, but for whatever reason, there I was. And I stayed, and, and I did those silly worksheets and, and began working those steps. And I think that's why I'm still here. Um, I don't know. If, if Richard hadn't done that, I might have done the same thing I'd done all along. And at some point, I would have decided, you know, I've got this thing, and sort of faded out and, uh, and I don't know what I'd be today. You would have, uh, you needed the solution. You needed a, yeah. something. If we're not going to drink, I'm, I've got to do something about the way that I feel and the way how I deal with my feelings. And the way I dealt with my feelings was by drinking. It worked great for a long time. Mm-hmm. If I felt bad, I could make myself feel better. And if I felt happy, I could amplify that feeling. And if I was bored, I could. Oh, it certainly spun up some stuff then. Yeah. So it was the solution to absolutely every feeling. There you go. <laughs> Which I think is alcoholism. Uh, <laughs> well, and you know, I mean, your experience is similar to mine in that it was eight or nine months in before I got a sponsor 
and started working the steps. The fellowship will keep us sober for those early days, but it's not the solution. The fellowship props us up and helps us. To, it helped me, and it sounds like it helped you yeah. um, to to be a part of, and just kind of pulls us in and, and holds on to us and, and gets us through that bumpy stage. But I have to work the steps. I had to then. I have to now for the solution because the fellowship's not it. I mean, that's that's it, and and it's not something I understood. I think until then, the um, in fact, it was it had to be explained to me. I'm sort of a slow learner, and a lot of the way the the, the program works um, had to be spoon fed, and I learned a lot of what I know from my sponsor in law, and she was the one that explained to me that the fellowship is the fellowship and the program is the 12 steps. And, you know, if you are in the rooms but not working steps, you're participating in the fellowship, but you're not working the program, or at least I'm not. I, I should be using this personal pronoun. Here. I think it's true but, uh, that we are not. If we're not, I think that the steps are the what, a, what Alcoholics Anonymous is. And the other things are, like you said, the fellowship is to hold us together so that the steps can exist, continue to exist. So I, I completely think that without the steps, we're not working AA. It made perfect sense to me in light of my experience mm -hmm. because um, you know that's exactly what happened. And, and it's, it's what Sam said. The fellowship gave me enough support not to drink for a while. And then I kept going back out. And it was really when I started to realize the steps weren't just something that we all waved at when we walked in that were on the wall, you know, to be, to be fair, I, I didn't treat them exactly that way. But I looked at them and I'd say, I think I understand what's involved in these. I don't think I really need to do anything about it. I, I get the general gist of these things, you know, so be a, be a good person and tell people about AA yeah. and that kind of crap. And, uh, and I don't really need to go through them in the way that some of these weak-minded people around me are doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, oh, God, I was so arrogant. <laughs> that's so little reason to be. Um, that, that's what Richard was responding to, probably. <laughs> There's no doubt. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the guy had, had a sixth sense for that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, that he knew there was blood in the water, and he was after it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm grateful to him. I love that he called that a step-doing Step-doers. Step-doers? Step Step-doers. Yeah. Now, wait, doers is what you drink. Yeah, it, 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 it had that, that <laughs> unfortunate... <laughs> Step-doers. I've never heard that term, though. Uh, yeah, for, for he, he, his idea together. was he had a group of people. He had uh, forms, 12-step uh, forms, and just ask questions uh, to point you in the direction, to make it easier to examine. You know, it's difficult to do. You can, I don't know anybody who could do the steps on their own, particularly the first time. It's, for me, it was a foreign language, but it had questions that um, pointed you in the right direction, and it was like, we're going to do step one, and then we're going to do step two, and then we're going to do step and each meeting, you'd do the step, and you'd That's write great. down the fourth step. You would write down your inventory, and then with the fifth step, the person across from you would take your fifth step, and then you would take their fifth step. Wow. And it, you went through them, and it was it was really a good thing because the steps are the answer. What am I going to do with my feelings? And that's what I got to, if I'm going to replace, I've got to replace the alcohol with something and, and I've got to replace it with the program. The program is, is the steps. 
and it gives me a way to deal with the world. What was, so in working the steps in the early days of doing it, what was one of the first things that happened to you that you would say was like, oh, I get this, this, this is real. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough question for me because for me, I think it was a series of little epiphanies that, that were, there wasn't any, any great light shining moment, which is, you know, I mean, there's, I don't think irony is the right word, but there's, there's something that, that has a, a, an ironic twist somewhere in there because we talk a lot about the educational variety of spiritual experience and, uh, it, you know, there's the, the Bill's hot flash and one of the early stories mentions it. I guess in We Agnostics, it refers to uh, uh, our Southern friend, what's his name, like Fitzpatrick or something like that. And, and he talks about having had been whacked upside the head by God or something like that. <laughs> and and that had actually happened to me years before um, uh, when I was an undergraduate and, and I'd gone through this sort of existential angst period, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd had really an experience very much like that, but I'd never really done anything with it. It was, it was sort of a, uh, you know, is there, is there any meaning in life? Is there any meaning in the universe? And then I had this, this experience. It wasn't an educational thing at all. And that's, you know, I, I'm a pretty analytical guy and that's sort of what I thought I would come to if I ever came to anything. Right. And that's not at all what it was. And I'm, I'm no good at describing it. I'm not even going to try, but at that point I was just fine. I was happy. Okay. So I know there is purpose in the, in the universe. I know there is. Are you saying you had a spiritual I experience? I did. Yeah. That was like an emotional epiphany. Or okay. I'll, yeah. I'll accept those words. I, mean, yeah. I, just, I, yeah. I have never been able to describe it. Very uh-huh. But it, it totally resolved for me all those kinds of issues. And, and interestingly enough, there were no foreign substances involved in this, <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> sort of unusual in my case. Yes. Um, there was a, a clean and sober period there where, where God just sort of snuck in and, and said, hi, which was fine. That's all I wanted God to do was to just say hi. I love <laughs> and, uh, that. Yeah, it was were great. You, I, was, I was thrilled. I was, it was wonderful. Were you asking for it? Uh, yeah, I was. I absolutely was. I wasn't really expecting necessarily to hear anything, and I was looking for the educational way of, of finding meaning in the universe. And... And it just really surprised the hell out of me when it didn't happen that way. It happened, in, like I say, in an experience and in a very clean and sober experience. And, and at that point, I knew I just didn't do anything with it. Uh, it was sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm so happy to know this. This, is, this. this means I can go on. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I get that. It's, yeah, it's, it's not all this sort of meaningless nonsense and I can go on. Yeah. And I just put that up on a shelf and, you know, and, and I went on with my life. So I didn't have that experience coming in AA. Um, what I did have were a lot of little things like step one, which, uh, you know, for a lot of the, the folks I know, and a lot of the, the guys I've, I've worked with, you know, they walk in, they know it. And they, they've done step one before they ever walked into the room. And for me, it was a much harder thing. Because I'd come from this experience where my drinking wasn't really that out of, of the norm. I was just in a group that was out of the norm. <laughs> so the, what are you saying about step one that you didn't... What do you mean exactly when you say that you... I wasn't convinced. I wasn't convinced that I was alcoholic. 
or uh, I, I certainly wasn't convinced that my life had become unmanageable. And that's where Richard's silly little, you know, kindergarten forms, uh, because that's the way I looked at them, started to, to point out ways in which my life was unmanageable. Mm-hmm. You know, do you ever need to have a drink in the morning to steady your nerves or to keep your hand from shaking? Uh, those kinds of things. Little things that uh, didn't really bother me a whole little, lot up until that point. Little you can overlook. Exactly. Well, and, and there's there's something in magical, and, and this was something I, I got after I started over many years after my first go-round, where it's incredibly important for me not to work the fourth step in my head. Mm-hmm. Even the little mini fourth steps or the tenth step work throughout the mm-hmm. day type of thing. Yeah, because writing. black and white, putting it down on paper, it's right there in my face at that point. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is is in that step one checklist, it was right there in front of you. There's no denying it. It's easy to forget it whenever I do the mental checklist. It is. I mean, you're exactly right. I'm a very visual person, and so I could see those things. You know, I could bring it back up. So during, you know, during the day, if I ever had any question, I would see the list in my mind, and and you know, uh, so so you think you might want to go pick up a drink and. Just say goodbye to this whole AA thing and never have to deal with that SOB Richard again. And then I'd see the lists and, and I'm seeing the things I'm checking off. And it, and it wasn't, the, the, at least the form he, he had when I went through this, it wasn't the, the AA 14 points or however many it is. It keeps changing. But a lot of those things were on there. And, uh, you know, and I was, I was passing the test. <laughs> um, and I'd never really had consequences. I'd driven drunk on, on many occasions. You know, there are three roads. Which is the right one? Well, maybe it's the one in the middle. Let's go with that. Now you put your hand over your eye. It helps. Ah, see, I didn't know that. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, but I did know enough to realize that what I was doing was really dangerous. And I could have really hurt people, you know, people I love or strangers. So, I mean, I had a sense that my drinking was endangering people. And... I think what, what these lists did, and what and I think you're right, what, what putting it on paper did was made it concrete somehow, and it was harder for me to evade that. I became so thoroughly convinced on step one that it um, it really propelled me into wanting to work the rest. I didn't. I stopped fighting at that point. You know, after the step one papers and everything, it was from the it was from writing yeah. those papers that gave you the realization that you were an alcoholic. That's where you gave up, it sounds like. Not from drinking. I mean, you had started over many times. I I think that's right. I think that the, I I became convinced right then and there, you know, and and I didn't have to go to those places. I mean, I kind of knew there's a lot of alcoholism in my extended family and in my, my sort of genetic group. And I had seen some of the things that it had done to some of those folks. And I didn't want to wind up like that. And that, that had been in the back of my head when I'd come to AA before. Mm-hmm. You know, but it had always been a sort of a theoretical thing. I don't want to end up in this place. Not, I'm already in a place that's unacceptable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and that was a big difference for me. And it was a, it was a demotivational difference. Um, you know, I am in a place now that is unmanageable and that is unacceptable to me. And once I hit that, the, I mean, I think you're right. That's when the willingness began to happen. Not, not, I think it happened immediately. Once I, once I had that realization, I stopped fighting Richard. 
I, you know, I, I changed all plans so I could be there every Saturday. I started working those, those papers as honestly as I could. And I stopped talking in meetings. <laughs> uh, I heard somebody say one time that the, that the spiritual experience is just the willingness to change my mind. I'm going to allow a different way of thinking. I'm not going to fight it. And it's and I like this idea of allowing it. And it sounds like you've suddenly allowed the first step to be real for you. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think From I Ryan. never really worked it before, and that was where I kept, I kept falling down. You know, the 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 um, our literature talks about how oftentimes relapses occur because we held back on the fourth step, and uh, and and that wasn't my experience. I never held back on the fourth step. I never got to the fourth step. You didn't get there. It's a good point. So, you gotta you gotta do the first step before you do the fourth step. <laughs> If you're going to hold back on the first step, you can drink then too. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. But, uh, but it meant that by the time I got to the fourth step, I was so thoroughly convinced that this was uh, this was the path I needed to be on that I held nothing back. You know, it was yeah. like it was like seventy pages or something. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hearing is, and, and I'm saying the same thing that's already been said, but just saying it a different way, which is what. I think works so well in Alcoholics Anonymous is that we yeah. say the same thing in different ways mm -hmm. and we hear the hear it the way we need to hear it. And that is when I came in here the first go around and at the start over, I, I was willing to do it someone else's way. What I was doing was not working and folks were around me were sober. They seemed to be happy no less. And it, I was willing to do something not my way. I mean, I think you're right. It, it was it was a gift of willingness, and it, it uh, in my case, it came from this guy, you know, sort of figuratively beating me over the head with with, uh, with his abrasiveness and his honesty. Um, yeah, because I, I I do think that I could have gone back out several more times if I lived that long, and so I'm grateful for that. And and it's not you definitely could go back out. We yeah. all could go back out. But I mean, in that in that uh, way that I had been doing, where I had mm -hmm. you were you were going to go back. Yeah, down. I never engaged. You know, it, it was like I kept trying to put the the car in gear, but I, I never let the clutch out. It was just <laughs> it just wasn't working. Well, it's also one of those things that um, back to that thing of you know saying the same thing different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, you apparently needed to be hit over the head. There are some people who don't need to be hit over the head. True. There are some people who need a gentle word. There are some people who need a hand to guide them. Mm -hmm. And thank God we got all these different ways that we carry the message to each other in these mm -hmm. rooms because we need to hear it different ways. And I'm glad you got hit over the head. Oh, you know, that's right. Someone told me one time that this is a one-size-fits-one program. And, and I love that, you know, and, and it seems to be so true. You know, we're, we're all on a path headed in the same general direction, but no two of us are on exactly the same path. And so true. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's what happened for me. That's what I needed. Other people need other things. And uh, you know, that's one of the, 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 the great mysteries for me of the program is how, how it is that we, you know, we talk about our great metaphor, the shipwreck and that sort of thing. But we all have very different stories. And even within AA, we have different experiences and different stories. And the thing that works for me is not the thing that works for you or for anybody else. I, I, I really believe that no two people um, are going to get sober exactly the same way. It has to be an individual thing. And there's something about the openness part of, of, of this 12-step 
fosters that. It allows us to find that way. What's sobriety like for you now? You've gone through all the steps. What's it like for you now? You know, it's a different world. It's, uh, I, I say this sometimes when I speak, and, and I'm not sure that it really resonates and may not say it much anymore because it, I'm really trying to be there for the newcomer. But it is like being a different person in a lot of ways. I have the memories of this, of this guy from, from back in those days, and I know the things he did, and I can, you know, like I say, I have that visual memory. I can, I can remember waking up in bathrooms and not knowing where, where this bathroom is, <laughs> you know, and the connection to that guy is really hard for me to envision, though. I don't understand his motivations. I don't understand the decisions he was making. And it is hard for me to really put that together. And, and, and part of it is, is that he wasn't really living a self-directed life. And that's, you know, that's the surrender to be free and all of those, those wonderful contradictory terms that we use that, that have meaning to me now. And like I say, I don't, I'm trying not to say them so much when, when I'm in a speaker meeting and giving my story because I, I think they're just bewildering to people who are there. New people. Yeah, exactly. But that's it. I really feel that by turning my life and my will over to my higher power and by beginning to practice the principles embodied in the, in the 12 steps, treating people with courtesy, kindness, respect, justice, love, those, those sorts of um, silly kindergarten kinds of things. But by doing that, I have, a, I have a direction in my life. And when I look back, and at a time when I was supposed to have been so fully autonomous, none of it made sense. I mean, I was just running from, you know, if I was a lab rat, I was running from stimulus to stimulus. I wasn't really, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was no yes. plan there. There was no guidance there. And none of it, none of it was directed in any kind of a meaningful way. And, and I have that today. And it, it means that my life is full and meaningful. And, you know, I mean, there, there are tragedies. There are moments of, of great happiness, but I'm connected with it. And I'm living it all. Uh, I'm not trying to run away from it. And, and even when the difficult times come, I know that there is a beginning, a middle part, and an end part to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try and be as conscious as I can of that. And that's such a, you know, it's been, it's been a long time since I was drinking. But that still feels fresh to me. And it still feels like this enormous gift. I can really identify with the, after, so for me, 23 years, it's like a different life. I look back on it like a different life. Yet it was me. It was my life. I, and I have people who remember me uh, the way that I drank. And some people who remember some of the stuff that I did that I'm not proud of as well. But in fact, I went to a wedding this past weekend with, a guy I used to drink Orange Driver, which is gut rot wine. <laughs> the little man, we called it. And <laughs> some of the, our exploits are memorable. but they're not <laughs> <laughs> And they're fun to remember because we survived them. <laughs> I think we need a roving microphone for these trips. <laughs> but... Uh, but they're not flattering. They're all. Oh, we definitely need a roving microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I look back on that person, and the other thing that's really interesting about it is that person who I was. If I were to meet me now mm-hmm. on the street corner and talk to him, I wouldn't have liked 
the person I am now at all. I would have been contemptuous <laughs> of the person that I am now. And it's so very strange. But I would look back on that guy if I were to meet him with compassion and it's like, hang in there. And I think I would tell him, relax. You know, don't, you don't have to fight everything so hard. It's a, it's very strange looking back. It's it's kind of strange too in being in recovery and sharing about that because it is mm -hmm. like sharing about something that's that's like another person. And some of the, it, a lot of it has of that person has become whittled down to like fifteen stories. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's very <laughs> and true. I have these fifteen stories that I share that are pivotal things that happen really crucial events that happen at different times. And most of them were like at some point where I had some realization and that's really what I have. So it, sometimes it feels weird. Like I'm saying the same stuff all the time. It feels like at meetings because I'll, I'll share these events, but I was talking with a guy who had multiple decades of sobriety. And he was saying he doesn't share anymore. Because nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I've said everything I've got to say so many times. I was one. I've never heard him say anything. <laughs> well, you know, there's another part to this too. So, so yeah, our drunkologues hopefully are done. Yeah, they're not going to change, and they are going to continue to be smaller and smaller portions of our lives. Yeah, yeah. But there's all this sober life that we can talk about now. I mean, it's that thing about when you're when a speaker is 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 standing at the podium telling his story, and he's drunk for fifty minutes, and then oh yeah, I got sober, and this is what it's like now. I'm really at the point where I love the stories where I get five minutes of drunk, mm -hmm. and here's forty five minutes of what sober life is like today. Yeah. So that's what you guys have to talk about. Yeah. So share in meetings, damn it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you really need really need to. It is, but you know, I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of get where that guy's coming from. I go through times where I just don't feel like speaking up, even in even in discussion meetings, you know, unless I really feel that I have some reason to, and it often goes away. And I don't. I'm sort of in one of those now, which I was sort of thinking about this when I was coming over here. I was like, oh my god, I'm just going to sit there, and they're going to ask questions, and I'm going to, you know, give these. You know, two sentence answers and that's going to be it. <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm there and, and you know my friends are saying you know I've seen you at the Thursday night meeting and, and you haven't said anything and it's been like two months since you said anything in there what's going on and you know it just happens that way that there is a time when I feel like I am learning and I'm, and I'm listening and I don't it, it's not like I'm deciding I'm not going to say anything it just doesn't happen and after a while, I'm realizing, you know, it's not happening a lot. Um, well, it's 12-step work sharing in meetings. And yeah. we need to do it. Yeah, I, mean, I think we need to do it. I get what you're saying. And, you know, my sponsor says the same thing. It's, it's like when, when I don't want to pick up a, a multi-year chip in a big meeting. And he says, I need you to pick up this chip in a big meeting so people can see this. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I totally get that. But I also think that there is... I'm working on something somehow, and I'm not sure what it is or where, uh, or I'm trying to, you know, I'm just trying to sort some stuff out. And 
sometimes that just happens at a sort of a subconscious level and eventually it sort of percolates to the surface and 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 that's really what it feels like right now so i, I sort of go silent at periods of time and, and so i mean i kind of get well, what that guy said i get yeah. what you're saying too it's i mean i've experienced what you're talking about and i think that that's the key thing the, the key phrase that you just said is periods of time mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. because um you know, hopefully the old timers in the in the room, all their periods of time aren't going to hit at the same time. Yeah. Um, I've experienced the same thing where I go through these periods where I just I'm getting more out of listening, out of listening to what's being shared or what it's triggering me to think about, rather than sharing something in the meetings. But also something that I've gotten particularly from working with a service sponsor is holding on to what I want to share until it's not been said by someone else. And so often what I want to share gets said by someone that else. That can happen, yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that. I mean, I, I try not to hold on to the end of the meeting. and I don't want to be the guy who's, you know, the, the old timer who's always waiting until the last five minutes to get the last word in. But I, but I absolutely, I, I, I do get that. Do I really have anything to add to this conversation, to this, whatever the, the topic or the discussion is? Okay, if it's flowing, if the meeting's flowing and everyone's sharing, then what you're both saying is true, and I think it's good. If the meeting is stagnated and there's <laughs> yeah. people sitting in silence, what the hell are you doing sitting there in silence if you have some years of recovery <laughs> and are not sharing the so, program. I got I to say. We can talk about how the steps work. We can talk about uh, powerlessness over the first drink. And you know what to say. And there's somebody in there who needs to hear it. I used to get so upset at this one guy who always said the same thing at the meeting. Uh, but what he always said was the fundamentals. <laughs> and I started thinking, oh, well, but when I came in, what he said was revelatory because he was explaining how powerlessness, what it meant. And I didn't know what powerless meant. And, you know, you, you hear that uh, 160 times. It's like, I wish he'd shut up. But there's somebody <laughs> sitting there who has not heard it and is struggling with that. So he's performing a service, and I think it's important for us to share. I agree, but also there are times when I will totally <laughs> fall on my sword and share something controversial. Mm. You know, you've got, that, you you've got that dull moment. You've got that, that, that pregnant pause in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And it, often, so a, a meeting that I go to frequently on Saturdays, reads some of the text for a period of time, and then opens up for the discussion. Mm -hmm. And no one has anything to say. Now, maybe they're processing what they read or whatever, but no one has anything to say. I don't have a thought. I don't have a God-guided thought mm -hmm. at that moment to share, but I'll share something mm -hmm. to get things rolling. But it's not a meaty share. It's not a god guided share. Sure. Yeah. It's a share that's, here's a tool to, to help the meeting. We're filling the silence. So there's silence it's gone on too long and you, and you need an icebreaker. And that's times when Sam is sharing rather than a God-guided share. Mm -hmm. I'm sharing from self. 
that I think that those are okay because it's kind of a sacrificial share. But the other thing is I uh, holding on to my shares towards the end until it's not been said, I have to pay attention to that or I try mm-hmm. to pay attention to that of is this a Sam Will share or is it a God's Will share? So because I, I don't want to sit there. I do. Actually, that's the problem. I do want to sit there and look and sound really good. Yeah. But that's not why I'm there. So is what I'm sharing something that I'm feeling, am I getting, am I nervous to share it? Do I have the chills or whatever? Is it something that feels like this needs to be said and I'm not saying it to look good? Yes. I love that. I mean, I, 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 I love that because that's... I really try and look at my motivation because, um, you know, when I did come come here, I had a, a huge problem with arrogance and ego. I'm, I'm the only alcoholic that ever did. Of course you are. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's it's still something I fight. I, I heard a speaker one time say that, um, um, you know, he tries, to, he tries to stay on the most important jobs in AA for his service work, like making coffee and sweeping up. And, uh, and he says he... He's always, he loves speaking when he's invited. And the, the problem is he feels like he's feeding something he should be starving. And yeah, I love that. And, and so, you know, um, and it may have to, something to do with the way that Richard first uh, spoke to me. But I do want to look at what I've got to say. You know, am I speaking here just to hear myself say something or because I think I have something erudite to say that everyone will go, ooh, ah, isn't that great? <laughs> And, uh, you know, because if I do that, I'm hurting myself. And I, I really do. I feel that very strongly these days. So, I mean, to me, there is this little analysis that's going on very similar to what you're saying. Is it something that's tender that I'm not real comfortable saying? Because if that's true, then it's not coming from that place. Mm-hmm. And if it's not that, do I have something to say on this topic, particularly to newcomers or people with a, a small amount of sobriety that are there? that hasn't really been said before or that I can say in a way that I think is perhaps has a little bit of clarity. You know, and if it's not one of those two things, at least right now where I am, I just sit there and listen. I think that, that what you're saying is true. And, you know, I've been to, there was one meeting I was going to that was a big book study and had a lot of newcomers come in. It was a happy hour meeting. We would read, read the big book and nobody would share. And I shared about what we had read from my personal experience, something real that had happened to me. And then it went on and on and on. And it's like nobody's sharing, nobody's sharing. And I shared a second time. And then after that, I'm going like, well, mm-hmm. well, then if I shared anything more, I'm not being honest. I'm not sharing from the heart, <laughs> which is what needs to happen. And nobody wants to hear lectures. So it's got to be something that's real. But... What I'm talking about is the times when I have something to share and I don't do it just because of some hesitation about it or somebody else can say it. It's going to be said by someone else. I can just sit here in silence and have a nice, easy meeting. You know, it's, it's where I'm, I'm shutting myself down. In a way, it's like uh, I'm being led to share and I'm shutting it down. Yeah, and that's that. that's what I'm, yeah, you know, that's what we don't want to be doing as old timers, as any timers, as any timers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a key thing, you know. But and I, we, I talk, we don't want, to, and we don't want to be 
talking every time we get the opportunity and interrupting people. No, <laughs> stop it, Don. <laughs> so, I mean, but so middle timers, sure. people who are in that 10 to 20 year mark, you don't see a lot of us around. Yeah. You don't. And I just said us because I still kind of consider myself that. Yeah. Though six years is coming up. It's been 14 years since I had a drink, but I had a, a reset. Well, that time didn't go away. That's right. I'm glad and, to hear you say yeah. that because people don't acknowledge that as much as they should. Yeah. You know, what I, what I learn in a period where I'm actually working the program and then I have a relapse that you're right, that time doesn't go away. What I learned doesn't go away. It's, uh, you know, it's still there. And, yeah. Uh, I try and remind remind the guys that, that I sponsor who are, are in that ship that, you know, not everything is reset. You get to keep what you've learned. Right. So I'm just glad you, you get to it. keep the happiness too. And yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. the, the tools and such. But I interrupt. But um, <laughs> well, you old timers always interrupting people. Um, but there's a trap. And I, I've talked about this with a lot of people who have a lot of my, my litter mates, if you'll call it that, where once you get to this magical place of double digits, we'll say, in sobriety, you're not supposed to have any more problems. You're certainly not supposed to share about them in meetings because you got to make this look good. That's a trap. And it is a trap. When I say any timers, that's what I mean. Whether you're new, you've got, I mean, you've got two days, 20 days, two years, 20 years, or 12 years, anywhere in this. If you've got something to say, speak up because you're part of this. We're all part of this. And every single one of us deserves to get from it what we can get, as well as we have a responsibility to give. Makes sense. I mean, I have patterns on my very first fourth step that I'm still fighting with today in, in a significant way and have made relatively little progress on. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, we, we say it's a one day at a time program and then we count up the years and, you know, I am as sober as a newcomer with respect to that. Um, I don't care whether you want to call it a character defect or a shortcoming or whatever the hell it is. But uh, I haven't made a whole lot of progress on that one. I've made progress on others. Um, and today I sort of look at that one and it just takes me right back to, you know, that first, fourth step. And, and I'm sitting there looking at Richard saying, you know, I have this real problem with, with anger when I'm driving. Oh, uh, so. I have never experienced that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. We're recovering. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm recovered. I'm recovered. Thank I'm you very recovered. much. I'm recovered. I'm recovered from a seemingly I'm hopeless state of mind and body. body. That's it. But, I'm, but I like the idea that I'm recovering and that I'm not completely well. Yeah, I like the, I like the ing. For me, it's, it's, it's the, the I'm growing yeah. is what it is. Mm-hmm. I am recovering. I'm recovering from being a human. I have recovered based on the maintenance of my spiritual condition today. Yep. I love that we have these little points of friction over words. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to watch people argue over the recovered and recovered. Yeah. And that's what, <laughs> yeah. Because they both have valid points. They're both, they're <laughs> they're both, right. They're both right. Yeah. They're both right. <laughs> Except mine's in the very front of the book on the title page. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce, thanks for joining sure. us. Thank you so it's much. This is a lot Today, of fun. we're going to have a question for the old timer, which will get you to join in. But before we do that, Sam, I've got something I've got to play for you. We got 
a request for a sponsor. Oh, we got another sponsor? A new sponsor, but I don't think we can do it. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of ready to get rid of my old sponsor anyway. <laughs> it kind of makes sense because it's got the word boiled <laughs> owl in the title. Oh, so but, if there's a tie-in. Yeah, it ties in, but I don't know. It's it's boiled owl whiskey, and I don't know <laughs> if it's a good fit for us here to listen. Boiled owl. <laughs> Tawny Brown Whiskey. It's explosive. Why is it explosive? <laughs> It'll blow the top of your head off. Every gallon comes with a boiled owl in the bottle. You can't buy a pint. You can't buy a quart. Not enough room. And we know you might come for the owl, but just stay for the whiskey. <laughs> boiled owl. <laughs> Tommy Brown Whiskey. Um, <laughs> Don? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> it's got an owl in it. I mean, I know I've, I've, I've heard that you're never supposed to say no in AA, but this isn't AA. <laughs> and no. No. We're not advertising whiskey here. Besides, we'll run out of owls. <laughs> The poor owls, I say. I know. But I used to drink things with, you know, gold leaf in it. Oh, yeah. Or I might drink something. That like was highfalutin. Yeah. Or my, Okay, so I might I was drink doing shots of it. But... Worm in it. That's not so highfalutin. Yeah, the ones that have worm in it. And then the, the, there's, of course, the things that have cigarette butts in them. Uh, now, that I did. Okay. I totally did those. Ugh. But I've never drank anything with an owl in it, and I'm not starting now. I'm just kind of figuring those feathers. It's like the Zima effect. Is that like a filtered whiskey? <laughs> Feather filtered. Feather filtered. Filtered with feathers. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? You! That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Don't do it, sonny. If you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. And we have a question. I haven't heard the question. You haven't heard the question? No. Well, let's call the question. I a little call... bit of general service humor there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Larry from right here. <laughs> says, I keep the lowest possible profile in meetings because I don't want any attention. How can I get comfortable? Hmm. What say you, old fart? I mean, uh, timer. <laughs> he the must old, be talking to you, Don. The old <laughs> fart was smart. I'd repeat the question. I keep the lowest possible profile in meetings because I don't want any attention. How can I get comfortable? I was uncomfortable in AA, very uncomfortable in AA. It's reasonable to be uncomfortable in AA. I felt like it was perhaps some sort of a sham, some sort of, I was waiting for the preacher to pop out and, you know, pass <laughs> this pass in the baskets all happening in churches too, you know. I was distrustful. It took a while for me to let my guard down and listen, but it happened because I was so desperate to quit drinking, and I knew that the AAs had an answer, and I knew that I certainly didn't. So I sat through it, through all my uncomfortableness, and you know, what, I, what I heard, and I've experienced this recently, 
is put my hand out. I was told to put my hand out, shake people's hands, introduce myself before and after the meeting. As I did that, then people would respond to me. People would will let me sit in the back of the room and not say anything and just disappear. A whole lot of people, some people will grab Richard, who we were talking yes. about, grab, but some people let you sit there and you, you can be incredibly alone in the middle of an AA meeting. Absolutely. So it's, up to me to reach my hand out, and we might have talked about this on a previous podcast, but I've been, I was going for a, almost a year to the Bethel Group, which meets on Thursday night, and I started going there because my sponsee goes there, and needed a meeting in the middle of the week, and wanted a new uh, meeting, new venue, so I started checking it out, and I was going for a year, and I was driving over there and thinking, yeah. That's an interesting meeting, those people. I was going, why am I going those people on that meeting? And I was like, I go every week. Don, you are the one holding yourself apart from this meeting. And so I went in that night and shook hands, like I was told at the beginning, and people were greeting me, and I was like, became a part of the meeting. The only thing that happened was I had a different point of view. You know, I changed my point of view. The meeting didn't change in the least. Hmm. So I think that is an answer is, is to reach out. As you become willing to do it and available to reach out, volunteer to help, volunteer to do something easy like clean the coffee pots afterwards or, you know, put up chairs, that kind of thing. Then you're hanging out with people in the meeting, you're helping, and you're developing relationships, and that's what it's really all about. Excellent. What, what, yeah. what do you say, Peter Pierce? I, you know, when I first, the very first meeting I ever went to, I was in Washington, D.C., and I had, had this preconception about what AA was. I thought that it was a bunch of old guys sitting around in smoke-filled rooms keeping each other sober by white knuckling and Where does telling, this come telling from? war stories. Exactly my well, I, mean, I walked into the room and it was exactly that. Oh. I mean, that's, <laughs> it, it met every one of my low expectations. Uh, these, there wasn't a woman in there. Uh, it was not a men's meeting. And the youngest guy in the room, I was in my early 20s and I was the youngest guy in the room. The next youngest guy was maybe 65. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I felt really uncomfortable, <laughs> yes. if you can yeah. imagine that. And I think most of them were regulars at the meeting, so I stood out like a sore thumb. And I have no clue what they said. I spent the entire time praying for the meeting to be over so that I could head out that door before anybody grabbed me. And then I you know, eventually went to other meetings and realized, hey, that's not what AA necessarily is. That's what that meeting was, right? Mm-hmm. But I was really afraid of being grabbed and made the center of attention or someone saying, you ought to walk up there and pick up a coin. And, and, you know, at the same time, I was afraid that if I didn't, they'd all be judging me, right? (laughs) I really wasted a lot of time in AA thinking about what other people were thinking about me and how I was, you know, I was trying to to be as invisible as I could. And, and, you know, it was just a bunch of mental bullshit. Um, The... At some point, I became a little more a little more comfortable, and people started to talk to me before the meeting. Didn't I see you here last week? And you know, it just started to get a little more comfortable. But uh, you know, 
I am the first one to, to run up to a newcomer and shake hands and do all the things which would have just terrified me when I came in. Because I think that most of the time that really works well. Those people want to be welcomed in. But, uh, but I totally get Larry's, Larry's point there. It's, and, I, and I really don't have a great, uh, a great answer. I love the fact that some meetings have greeters and that they welcome you in. And if there's somebody, you know, is this your first meeting? Oh, it is. Well, uh, you know, Bob's over here. Bob, you know, come, come meet this guy and, and uh, show him where the good coffee is or whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I love that in meetings where they do that kind of thing. One of the things I think that we could do better is at least in a lot of the meetings I go to, is just welcome folks in. Mm -hmm. I, I do think it's important. Uh, we, we mentioned it at the, our home group meeting from time to time to be certain. If you see somebody, home group members, if you see somebody sitting in the room, comes in, sit down that you haven't seen before, go greet them, shake their hand. Um, you don't have to jump all over them, but you just have to welcome them so that they're not sitting alone. Make sure people know that they're welcome, that we yeah. want them. And visitors, because I've traveled a whole lot. Sam, I know you've traveled a whole lot. And when you walk into a meeting and sit down and no one greets you, it's like you're not part of the meeting. It's nice to it's true. have someone shake your hand. It's true. For me, in the beginning, I, um, I went to Summit Fellowship Club a lot. I was so scared of people that as soon as the, we let go of hands at the end of the meeting, because we held hands and circled up and all that, as soon as that ended, I was out the door. I could not get out of that clubhouse fast enough. I could not get to my car fast enough. But what I also was uh, graced with, I guess you'll say, is I got off work at 4.30. The meeting was at 6 o'clock. My house was 20 minutes away from the meeting. I had time. That, that was my witching hour. Of I was either going to drink then or I was not going to drink then. And the only way I could not drink then was to get from my home in Gibsonville to Greensboro and that 20-minute drive. And so that put me getting to, uh, to Greensboro about 5, 510, something like that, at the Summit Club. And there For was, a 5.30 meeting. For a 6 o'clock meeting. For a 6 o'clock meeting. And I started showing up early. I did it. And the thing that was really cool is that there was the same group of guys, real old-timers, mm -hmm. Um, now I was sitting a, you know, on the other end of the kitchen from them watching them for a while. And I'll tell you one thing, you put a bunch of old farts together and they turn into teenagers. It was great. <laughs> um, I'll be that someday. <laughs> um, Sooner than you know. <laughs> but, uh, but what happened was there were people who would show up early for meeting. And those were the people that I started to get to know. And the safe part of that for me too was if I got into a conversation with you before the meeting, I knew that there was an out. The meeting was going to start. I wasn't going to have to gnaw my arm off to get away from you. <laughs> but if I got into a conversation with you after the meeting... Who knows? Yeah, yeah where's that going to go? When's that going to stop? Um, and so, you know, it, my getting to be comfortable took me showing up early. That's a great point. Yeah. That's good. Well, it's been a great episode. Pierce, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank Good you so here. much. This has been a lot of fun. Woo-hoo! 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 Woo-hoo!
Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. What's this about Larry? <laughs> no, it, it, it really is prosaic and boring. It's uh, the um, I always went by my first name, which was which is Lawrence, and then I started working in the family business, and we've already got a Lawrence with the same name, last name I have. So I just used my middle name Pierce, and, and it really sort of it's sort of an odd thing in AA because there half the people call me Larry and half the people call me Pierce, and it's you know it can really I be confusing, get it. but. Uh, so I had a similar experience, not for the same reasons, but when I came in, my name is Shannon. And when I came in for the first year or so, I introduced myself, Shannon, I'm an alcoholic. Everybody knew me as Shannon. Well, Shannon, I hate that name. <laughs> and one of the things I got from you guys was there are things that I can change. That was one of them. Oh, that's true. Change and the so, things you can. Exactly. <laughs> and so I would introduce myself in my home group meeting, especially as I'm Shannon, sometimes Sam, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and then I switched to I'm Sam, sometimes Shannon, and I'm an alcoholic. You eased into And then, then I became it. Sam, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> the stages of Sam. There you go. If I had to change my name. I think you should. Yeah. I need something else. Although I like, was it Dick Not Don? <laughs> yeah. So that's, what, that's what my wife calls me because uh, I read a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh, yeah, the yeah. Buddhist. And, uh, you know, I get a lot out of it. And sometimes I'll share about being in the present moment and letting go. And she'll say. It's because you use that voice that she calls you. <laughs> Thanks, Dick Not Don. <laughs> That's great. It's because you're floating midair when you say it. <laughs> As I am now. <laughs> you're a gas giant. Just remember, spiritual gas giant.